Look, Bumble knows you're exhausted by dating. All the, must not take yourself too seriously, and 6-1 since that matters, and what do I even say other than, hey? <sighs> well, that's why they're introducing an all-new Bumble, with exciting features to make compatibility easier, starting the chat better, and dating safer. They've changed, so you don't have to. Download the new Bumble now. I am Sarah Jane Case, and this is Enneagram and Coffee. Hello, friends. Happy Friday. Welcome back to the podcast. Today, we are talking with Dr. Holly Oxhandler, an associate professor and associate dean for research and faculty development at Baylor University's Diana R. Garland School of Social Work. Dr. Oxhandler is written for top professional journals within social work and psychology, and her research has been featured in the Washington Post, Religion News Service, and more. She also co-hosts the weekly podcast, CXMH, a podcast on faith and mental health, and is the author of The Soul of the Helper, Seven Stages to Seeing the Sacred Within Yourself So You Can See It in Others. Holly, welcome to the show. Thank you so much for having me, Sarah Jane. It is an honor to get to be here with you today. Yeah, I'm so excited to talk to you. But first, what is your rosebud and thorn today? Yes. So um, I love that you do this, by the way. I was listening back through some of them, and I think this is such a sweet way to kick off the show. So I appreciate the question. Mm -hmm. Um, I would say that my rose is uh, is really a lot to do with my kids and how proud of them that I am um, for their growth Mm -hmm. and resilience, especially this last year um, and all that they've had to navigate and we've collectively navigated. They just... um, I'm just really proud of them and and feel lots of good feelings about them these days. So um, so that, that would be my rose. My bud, um, the thing that I'm looking forward to is closing out uh, this academic year. And I know we were just talking about this before hitting record, but going on vacation with my family this summer and having that regular uh, that respite and that chance to kind of just get away and rest together is what I'm really looking forward mm-hmm. to. And my thorn um, is probably around uh, living into a very nutty uh, season. And there's just been lots of wonderful opportunities, but lots of competing demands and needs. And um, while at the same time, I'm really trying to lean into and embody uh, what I write about in The Soul of the Helper and the importance of caring for ourselves well so that we can care for others well and like embodying that through this nutty season um, might be the thorn, just trying to trying to mm-hmm. live into and figure out. So, Yeah. Yeah, I love that because I think sometimes when we put ourselves into the role of teacher or author, we find we it's almost like subconsciously sometimes it can feel like, well, I should be through this already. I should oh. never have to deal with this ever again. Yes. Yeah. But I really think it's just this relationship we're in for the rest of our lives. Mm-hmm. Yes. I love that. I love that language about being in relationship with that. Um, I've heard other authors talk about this before. And I, you know, I'm humbly in that mix too of realizing, you know, it's a gift to get to write about these topics, but it does not mean that like that it, I have like figured it all out and it's done. And like, I don't have to work on that or, you know, continue to grow in those areas. Um, so I'm very humbly uh, trying to lean into and continue to grow um, in a lot of what I wrote about in this book during a very um, you know, busy season. So 
Yeah, I'm kind of feeling like if you think about these growth tools, you know, mm-hmm. as tools that we put in our tool belt, yes. like they only work if we use them. So if we put the tools down, which we inevitably are going to at times, or we're going to ignore the tools we have in the belt. Uh-huh. But if we're not using the tools, then of course we're going to kind of find ourselves in need of the tools again. Mm-hmm. It's, it's almost like we overcomplicate it by feeling like we should get through it. So I love how simply you put that. Mm-hmm. Like, mm-hmm. Thank you. Mm. Mm-hmm. So can we hear a little bit about your Enneagram journey? How did you find it? What's your – do you mind sharing your Enneagram type? How did you come to knowing your Enneagram type? Yeah, absolutely. So it's funny because I actually have in my copy of Richard Rohr's Everything Belongs that I read back in like – I don't know. I think it was like 2010 or so. Um, I remember I have it underlined, the Enneagram, like I was going to go look it up, but then never did. And then um, Mm -hmm. when I started in my faculty position at Baylor, my dean was actually an apprentice with Suzanne Stabile. And so he was, you know, generously, you know, he would never tell anyone their numbers or anything, but he was very generous Mm -hmm. in sharing his resources and materials about uh, the Enneagram and any, um, you know, audio recordings or things like that. And so since I had just started, uh, I was thinking like, oh, well, you know, I'm, I'm new to this place and I, you know, I want to understand the things that my colleagues like. And so I'll learn a little bit more about this. And I remember listening, you know, she started at the eight going around and I remember listening to each of them and the eight resonated and then, you know, went through nine. I was like, eh, and then one kind of resonated too. I just cried. Uh, mm-hmm. <laughs> and then three resonated, four resonated a little bit. But when I understood, uh, like it, it was a little tricky for me to to identify and recognize um, that I really most identify with type two. But when I understood where twos go to in growth and in stress and the wings and that type of movement, I was I, I mm-hmm. recognized okay, that's that's kind of my home base. Um, is in that Enneagram two space. So that that's my my journey, I guess, into first understanding the Enneagram. And I'm thankful that within our school, um, you know, we do talk about it quite a bit uh, with our colleagues and, and with students too, and um, really as a way to to extend grace and better understand one another. And um, so that's yeah, that's that's been my exposure into it, um, and I've just continued to learn and grow and um, read as I've kind of gone along with that. And so your book is is largely based off of your experience as a two, it sounds like. Yeah. So so my, my book is entitled The Soul of the Helper, Seven Stages to Seeing the Sacred Within Yourself So You Can See It in Others. And actually the book it really first started with the research that I was doing on the intersection of spirituality and mental health and understanding mm-hmm. that um, as mental health care providers uh, were more motivated to live out their faith, they tended to be more, um, have more positive views and actually engage in talking about clients' faith um, in the mental health treatment. And there's a lot of reasons for why that's really important. 
um, mainly around, you know, clients prefer for their um, spirituality to be talked about in mental health care. Generally speaking, um, we see that when their spirituality is integrated, that we actually see more positive outcomes than if it was completely ignored. Um, and we also see that a lot of mental health care providers aren't trained to talk about this area of clients' lives. And it's a, it's a tricky mm-hmm. one to to discuss um, with someone. So as I was doing this work and I realized that the more motivated the provider was to integrate the client's faith into, or, or I'm sorry, the more motivated they were to um, live out their own faith, they tended to have more positive views and uh, actually engage and discuss client's faith more frequently. There was this term that surfaced, the Sanskrit term um, that's called namaste, uh, that literally translates to mean I bow to you, but more generally translates to mean the sacred within me recognizes the sacred within you. Um, and I had this, mm. this theory, this grounded theory that began to surface and bubble up a bit from um, from this data that I was uh, gathering and collecting. Um And the reality is, is that for researchers, you know, when we actually, when we do research, the research changes us. I mean, I would love to say that it is completely Mm -hmm. separate um, from us, but it it really does change us and transform us. And uh, as that was happening for me, um, I really started to embody this understanding of namaste theory and of absolutely, you know, the, mm-hmm. my personality structure um, related to identifying with type two on the Enneagram really started to kind of come through as well. Um, and so, you know, the book is not, it's not written just for what it's only like for helpers, um, and, you know, mm-hmm. only, but mm-hmm. it really does weave in. The fact that, you know, I like the approach that like, even though we all have one home base for our Enneagram number, we have, you know, some layers of each of the numbers within mm-hmm. us. Um, and so the understanding of that then really kind of was where this idea of recognizing like we all have the capacity to be a helper, even if we don't all mm-hmm. identify with type two. Um, and so what does that look like to embody these stages of seeking the sacred within ourselves as we go out and serve others. Yes. And I think, you know, it's interesting. Obviously we have, all of us have some element of two in us, but we also have like, you know, female identifying people are kind of trained mm-hmm. to type two yes. in our society. And um, especially people who come from a religious background often mm-hmm. are also trained in that type two mentality. So the things that we're rewarded for, Often, especially as women, and I think especially as women in a faith environment or with a faith background, come with those added pressures, whether we identify as predominantly type two or not. Yes, I wholeheartedly agree with you. I think that um, there are definitely some layers like what you named, including uh, those who identify as women, um, various uh, religious or faith backgrounds. Um, But I also recognize too that, you know, there are lots of other roles and um, 
professions and things like that where we do have some of these helper tendencies like uh, Mm -hmm. parents and teachers and caregivers and um, faith leaders and volunteers and um, really just kind of expanding it in any way in which an individual is serving those around them is really kind Mm -hmm. of where I'm getting at when I talk about the helpers among us, including podcast hosts like you. (laughs) <laughs> yeah, like the what's the part in each of us that that is a helper and what do they need in order to see the sacred within themselves? Yes. So, can we can we talk about like can can we go into the seven stages? Yeah, absolutely. Okay. Yeah, I'd love to. So, um the second part of the book does kind of walk through these seven stages um and of seeking the sacred within ourselves again with this understanding that We have to see it within ourselves so that we can see it within others. And that was Mm -hmm. really hard for me to wake up to and really understand and and embody and sit with. But But I really found it to be true. So these seven stages, they all begin with the letter S and... I'll just kind of say the the seven and then um, kind of talk about how they're connected with one another. And then we can kind of dive in in whichever direction we want. So the the seven stages are um, speed, slow, steady, still, see, shift, and serve. And the way in which these are kind of glued together is this understanding that we as helpers and caregivers and um, so on and so forth, we have to wake up to the speed at which we are operating as we uh, go out and do and help and heal and advocate and serve um, so many others. And then once we become aware and recognize the speed at which we are operating, we're then invited to slow down, uh, which can be difficult. And so we might need some steadying structures to support us and provide that scaffolding for us to actually stay in that slower pace. Um, Because by doing that, we're then able to be still, which that is truly difficult for so many of us. I'll speak for myself, but I know that I've seen in the research that that's hard for a lot of us um, to actually be still. But it's not until we are actually still that we can fully see the sacred within ourselves. Um, and from and not only see the sacred within, but also see, you know, some of the shadows within us too. Um, but it's from that place of seeing that we are then able to shift with compassion toward ourselves and those around us and serve from a place of abundance and recognizing that we are beloved as we are, uh, that we don't have to hustle for that worth, um, but that it is already prepackaged within us. So that's kind of the whole arc of those seven stages and how they're connected. Oh my gosh. So do you find that people who are in helping professions or people who kind of carry this helping pressure often are moving at a a rapid pace? Yes. Oh my goodness. Yes. I mean, I'm a professor in social work and I do research with um, psychologists and marriage and family therapists and counselors. And I'm, you know, we interview lots of other helping professional folks in different disciplines on the podcast. And yes, I mean, that that is what we're seeing, mm-hmm. that they are moving at such a high speed pace. And I think some of that has to do with um, just the, the air that we're breathing and the 
um, mm-hmm. the pace and the needs around us that are constantly growing and that we are doing our best to meet, but are just continuing to grow. Um, and I think um, some of that also has to do with the ways in which we are rewarded uh, by our helping and serving and doing. I mean, there we do get that dopamine bump mm-hmm. and we do get that, oh, good, I was helpful and, and they liked that and, and that was good that I did that thing. And, and so we might continue hustling for uh, that reward. But I think it's both and like I, I think to some degree, you know, we have to do what is ours to do um, to be mm-hmm. able to slow down. But I also am very mindful of the systemic and cultural layers and pressures that um, kind of keep us going at such a high speed pace uh, constantly. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I, I'm curious, like what makes it so hard? Because I know this in myself, like I my husband, I recently said, like, I have a book launch coming up, so I need mm-hmm. to start resting now. Mm-hmm. And I'm like, I'm going to take it really easy. And he joked. He was like, I was talking to a friend and I was like, yeah, Sarah Jane's resting right now, quote unquote, but she's just going to find something else to do at that time. Mm-hmm. And that's true. But it's like almost, you know, yeah, what makes it, why is it so hard to just slow down? Yeah, it's a really good question. I think that there are a lot of different reasons and I want to be mindful and sensitive to, you know, each of the listeners and their journeys that, um, you know, that they may have very different reasons for why it might be difficult for them Mm -hmm. to slow down. Um, I think though, that there are a lot of fears that we may have uh, that are kind of keeping our foot on the accelerator that are that's keeping us and holding our feet down to keep going. Um, we may have just gradually sped up and sped up and sped up to such a point where it's almost like we've grown comfortable with the discomfort of that wobbly fast pace, like that's our new normal. Mm. And it is, it's hard work for us to critically think through um, and pause and slow down to just see like, why did I get to this point and, and what has contributed Mm. to it? And how do I get, you know, to a point at which I'm not operating at this fast pace. Um, I remember I, I write in the book about a moment when um, I was serving in a recovery ministry. And I talk in the book about how, you know, I initially agreed to, to serve in the recovery ministry, you know, for those slippery reasons, those slippery like um, uh, motivations of like, oh, I'll, I'll be with my friends or it'll be another thing to add to my resume. But very quickly was humbled in realizing that I needed uh, this ministry for myself. Um But I write in the book about a a recognition and an awareness of how fast I was operating and that I, honest to God, did not know how to slow down. And it was the moment Mm -hmm. of recognizing I didn't know how to slow down that my pride shattered. And and it was not like Mm -hmm. I could checklist my way through this or, you know, get a new planner to better organize my time. but, But I really needed to do that deep inner work. Um, of exploring, mm-hmm. like, why was it that I was constantly going at the pace that I was? And, you know, how much of it was outside pressures or external messaging around, um, 
you know, you will be worthy if blank, if you do this, if you overachieve in this area, um, you'll Mm -hmm. have security if you do this or that or receive the affection that you are, you know, longing for if you do X, Y, Z. I mean, there are so many mm-hmm. reasons. Um, and some of them are those external messages. Some of them are those implicit messages where folks, you know, they don't say it, but it's kind of the in between the lines that, you know, you, you just pick up. Um, and some of it too is, you know, is the, the honest needs that are around us mm-hmm. and the lack of resources or support or access or um, whatever it is that's not coming in to really support a healthy uh, environment or a healthy space for us to to live and thrive without burning ourselves out in the process, mm-hmm. right? Yeah. Yeah. It's almost like, well, my brain is like all over right now. I'm like, oh, I love that. organize my thoughts because I, I have like so many like things firing right now. But I think the first thing that comes to mind is it's almost as if we have to slow down in order to get better at slowing down. Like we have yes. to kind of start yes. without it feeling good or comfortable or easy, like in order to get to the place where we can get to the awareness that makes it more mm-hmm. comfortable. Yeah, I think you're right. I do think that there is kind of a give and take with these um, stages. I definitely have been very explicit with folks that, you know, as much as it may seem like, oh, great, it's just a linear checklist and you just go through it. It's like, no, there is an ebb and flow and we're going to bounce from certain stages to another. Um, But you're right. Like, there may be some ways in which we need to slow down to fully understand or have that awareness. I do write about um, there are there's there's the this tr- this thing called this trans theoretical model or the stages of change model that we often talk about in recovery circles or um, whenever we're talking about behavioral changes. And the first stage is entitled pre contemplation, and then the second stage is contemplation. And you might be able to infer the pre-contemplation is where you don't even realize that that there needs to be any sort of change or that the behavior is problematic mm-hmm. or that the addiction is um, really evident. And it's not until you get to that contemplation stage that you really begin to to contemplate and think about like, oh, what you know, what is happening, and and where is this being harmful, or you know, what what do I do moving forward? Um, but you know, we, but that's not something that I think we can easily force to happen. I know, you know, we, it's not like, you know, we can just sit down and have like an intervention and it's just all going to change right away. Right. (laughs) Um, but, but like there is this growing process of becoming aware. It's not going to happen overnight. It may for some, I don't want to discount that if that is other, Mm -hmm. if, if that is some folks experience. Um, but but I think it is a growing process over time and that we will cycle through some of these stages as we continue to grow and become more aware and fine tune our ability to slow down and be still. But that's also why that steady chapter is so important because even when we do begin to slow down, I think it's really tempting for those of us who have been hustling and hurrying for so long to get our foot back on that pedal and to keep accelerating mm-hmm. um, because it's just what our bodies have known for as long as we've been operating in that pace. And so having mm-hmm. those 
studying structures, the support from others, the um, the whatever the the practices are that we need to be able to slow down um, and stay in that slower space is really important. Today's podcast is brought to you by Rothy's. There is no better feeling than when you're having kind of a bad day and you're just walking through life, you feel like no one notices you, and then to have someone say, hey, cute shoes. And that happens every single time I wear my Rothy's. So if I'm gonna have a bad day and I need a little bit of a pick-me-up, I can put those on and know that I'm probably gonna have some kind of compliment or nice conversation for myself that day. The other cool thing about Rothy's, other than them just being cute, is that they are not only comfortable, but they're also sustainable. All of their products are knit with thread made from plastic water bottles, which is so cool. And they've repurposed around 125 million water bottles so far. Those are water bottles that could have gone into the ocean that instead get to go on your feet and get you compliments for wearing cute shoes. Personally, I got the Chelsea boot, which is perfect for traveling because they're so easy to slip on and off, to go through security. They're very comfortable and they're lightweight. So I love to wear them on the travel day and they're easy to pack. They, they're they soft on the top. So if you do wanna pack them in your suitcase, they're very easy to pack, have nice boots that fit in your suitcase without taking up half of your carry-on. So I love that, but also again, they're so comfortable to wear around and if something happens to them, you can put them in the washer. These are the perfect shoes if you are someone who likes to travel and someone who likes to feel put together when they do. Your new favorite shoes are waiting. Discover the versatile styles that you can wear absolutely anywhere and get $20 off your first purchase at rothys.com slash egram. That's R-O-T-H-Y-S dot com slash egram for $20 off your first order. Thank you, Rothys, for supporting the podcast. So I almost, it almost feels like these seven stages are the are something that we can hold on to as like, okay, I'm starting to feel disembodied. I'm starting to feel mm-hmm. um, disconnected. How can I can like kind of run through these stages? Do I need to slow down? You know, like what do mm-hmm. I need to be still? You know, am, am I do I feel steady? Like how we can work through these regularly, kind of keeping them in the back of our mind. Yeah. That's exactly, I mean, that's exactly my hope um, with folks like as they're reading through this book is that they realize it isn't just like where you just blow through these um, stages and you're just done and, you know, okay, I'm serving from abundance all the time. It's like, no, 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 no. <laughs> you know, we we are going to go through seasons of life. Things are going to happen. Um, you know, childhood memories are going to surface. Work is going to get difficult. A pandemic is going to hit, um, you know, mm-hmm. whatever. And we're going to need to return with compassion and gentleness to these stages in in practicing that awareness around like, where, where am I along this? Like, maybe I need to back up a bit and, and, and pay attention to my speed. Maybe I need to set some boundaries a little bit more. Um, maybe I need to call my doctor because I've been, you know, noticing that I've had these, the, you know, this tension in my shoulders or, you know, in certain parts of my body that I need to get checked. And maybe it's because stress that I've been having some of this tension, mm. or maybe I need to call a therapist and start doing work uh, with a therapist to, you know, move through these stages. 
But I think the invitation is that that regular awareness around kind of where we are um, and to to lean into that with a non-judgmental observation um, as we discern our next steps towards caring for ourselves well so that we can care for others well. Yeah. What does it mean to start to see yourself as sacred? How do we, yeah, what does that even look like for those who are like, I can't even imagine starting that process? Mm. What, what does it feel like to see yourself as sacred? Oh, that is a beautiful question. I really like that one, Sarah Jane. That's good. Um, so I think what I would invite folks to think about is that they may have already had moments in which they kind of have that glimmer of like, there is this divine spark within me. I do have inherent worth within me. It's already prepackaged, but we may have noticed it in a season in which, you know, we were running really hard and fast with whatever the thing was or things were that we were juggling in that time. And so, um, so we may have had like, quick little notices of it, but um, but it's kind of like if we were driving down a road and there's like a beautiful sunflower on the side of the road, you know, if we're going 25 miles an hour, we're going to like kind of see it, but like not really, right? Um, so it really, the, really the heartbeat is that we need to do those practices that feel in alignment with our journey, with our spirituality, with our mental health needs, et cetera, um, that allow us to slow down that car enough to actually get out and spend time with that sunflower and really be able to see it and appreciate it and recognize the details and actually like hold it in our heart in a way that we can't do that when we're operating at, you know, at such a fast pace. Um, I know that it is like to your question more around like what that's like, like personally, I know that it is a slow process. It is not something that, you know, for me, it is, I mean, I think it's like, it's a lifetime of work that we are, we get to be engaged in. Um, and it, it is a privilege to get to be engaged in this work. But I think that like for me, um, some of the practices that have most helped me have been a daily centering prayer practice where for 20 minutes a day, um, I am still and I breathe and I have lots of thoughts that come up uh, and I have lots of, oh yeah, I need to do this and that. But after about being with that for about 10 or 12 minutes or so, they start to fall away to a point at which I can just be present and be still and um, and recognize that I have worth just because I am breathing in that moment. And, and that if I have that worth, so does everyone around me. Uh, and so, you know, there are moments where I'll have these like shipwreck, like emotions come up in that, um, where I have like big memories or emotions that kind of, you know, pop up, but, but also there are these just quiet, gentle nudges, of remembering my belovedness in that. Um, but I think the most important thing for listeners to hear is that, that this is not a fast process, that this is it's lifetime work and, and it's counter to this high speed pace of everything around us, but that it is some of the most important and meaningful work, um, 
that I feel like I've been fortunate enough to be engaged in through my lifetime. I love the sunflower analogy because mm. is that the right is it yes. metaphor analogy? Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Um I love that because it reminds me of how often we commodify self-care, right? It becomes oh like this gosh. thing that we should spend money on, mm. this thing that we have to do. It becomes like another thing we can fail mm-hmm. at and we can like do self-care from a place of like disembodiment where mm-hmm. we're like, okay, I'm going to wake up in the morning and I do this where I'm like, I have to get up at 6 a.m. I have to journal and then I have to read and then I have to do yoga and then I have to meditate. And then if I don't do those things, something's wrong with me. Mm-hmm. And, or, you know, like I've not done the things I'm supposed to do, quote unquote, mm-hmm. but that inherently makes you miss the sunflower. Mm-hmm. Like that pace mm-hmm. of self-care, quote unquote, um, misses the sunflower. Whereas if you just are able to know your body, listen to your body, be in tune with what you need in a given moment, in a given day, Mm -hmm. and what will help you to see the sacredness in yourself and in your life, Mm -hmm. um, that's so much – it just feels like, oh, we're actually getting into the soil and like creating nutrients, you know, like we're healing the roots. Yes. Oh, I love that. Healing the roots. That's so good. That's so good. You're and you're so right, Sarah Jane. Like, I think, um, and I do nod to that. What what you were just saying around how we can hustle and hurry through self care. Like, it can be another <laughs> yeah. thing that you know we're trying to checklist through and hustle through, and you know, and and put more pressure on ourselves. But that is not this journey. This journey of seeking the sacred is slow, and there is surrender within it, and it is. Um, learning how to tune in to the thoughts, to the emotions, to the physical sensations, and and learning to listen to them in a way that that guide us to what it is we need to do one moment at a time um, to the best of our ability, um, because that is going to change over time and in different seasons and, and for different reasons, but. Um, but we, but we get to, I mean, it really is tuning into, I think this is where some of the recovery work really helped me too along this journey is really recognizing that, that we do take this all one moment at a time. Um, and as I said, to the best of our ability, um, extending compassion and non-judgmental observation toward ourselves. Um, and then by doing that, by learning how to do that for ourselves, again, this is where we're able to offer that to others um, in a way that, you know, we don't project our shame and our our pain and the things that we have navigated uh, throughout our human lives. Um, we're not projecting that onto others because we're, we're tending to that inner landscape and healing those roots that, that you were talking about. Yeah. It reminds me of so I'm I'm reading the body keeps the score right now oh, for the first I time. I love it, love it. It's awesome. I had a feeling that mm-hmm. you. I had a feeling. Yep. Mm-hmm. Um. So I feel like I'm way like I'm so excited to be reading it. And he has a quote, and it's kind of like one of the little quotes he starts the chapter with, or they, th- they start mm-hmm. the chapter with, and um at the end of it it says I never knew I could love or I love everybody else mm. more because I'm finally talking about myself so much like it had oh a better rhyme yes. scheme than that uh-huh but I was this like feels like the essence of your book which is like yeah. when I finally tend to myself like I see the sacred 
and other people, I finally can, you know, you're able to love so much more fully and deeply. Yes, that's exactly right. That's exactly right. I love that you brought up that book too. I mean, I think I'm so glad that you're reading it. It's such a good book. Um, It's it's very heady and it's very like, Mm -hmm. it's dense, but it is when you, when you read it, you're like, oh, and you extend, (laughs) (laughs) you just extend so much more compassion to yourself because you're like, oh, I really was doing Mm -hmm. the best I could in light of all the things, the resources, the access, the people, the supports, everything that was around me. But when you start to recognize that for yourself and love yourself and extend that compassion toward yourself, you you do grow exponentially in your ability to extend that towards others. Um, it doesn't mean that you bypass or you know ignore ways that folks have hurt you. Um, and I certainly you know I've been trying to be very clear with that too. That you know you know while as you seek the sacred within yourself, I'm not saying that you need to like pretend that 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 one person who or however many people who've hurt you, it's like it's all okay. But like, you can still curiously and loosely hold space for recognizing that the divine is within each person, that that inherent worth is within each person. Um, and that, you know, maybe hopefully at some point begin to recognize like folks are doing the best they can with their experiences and situations and et cetera, that they have been given. So. Mm. Mm. Uh, anything lingering for you that you want to make sure that people hear before we go into rapid fire questions? Mm. Um, I would, I think I would just want to hear folks to hear. And, and I mean, I know we're going to get into the questions, but, um, but I just want, I, I can't say enough, just the inherent worth that is within each of the listeners. And, you know, to just to start with tending to themselves, to start beginning to see the sacred within themselves and the um, that they are worth the loving care that they extend to so many other people, um, regardless of their Enneagram type, regardless of the ways that they serve others, you know, just to to start with recognizing that they are worth the loving care that they offer so many others. That would be just one thing I would want to make sure to get in there. Mm, so good. Thank you so much. Are you ready for rapid fire? Yes, let's do it. Okay. Dun, dun, dun. <laughs> the first book that comes to mind. The first book that comes to mind? Yeah. Uh, oh, dang it. Um, well, Everything Belongs, because we were just talking about that earlier, from Richard Rohr. Perfect. A favorite song? Number 41 by Dave Matthews Band. Ooh, okay. Something you wish people knew about you? Oh, I'm human. I'm imperfect Mm. and messy and doing the best I can um, in light of all the things. That's so good. Your dream day, what are you doing? (laughs) Um, On a beach with my kids, watching them play in the sand with a book um, and lots of sunscreen because I burn very easily. but yeah, just being being on a beach. Love it. Your final meal, what are you eating? Oh, New York style pizza for sure. Mm. Mm-hmm. What's on it? Oh, just pepperoni and cheese. Yeah, I feel like New York style is just meant to be pepperoni. <laughs> I agree. Well, and I grew up in upstate New York. So we, you know, pizza was not something that we, you know, were in any form of shortage of like good New York style <laughs> pizza. 
So <laughs> I expected you to say like pizza was not something that we took lightly oh, and I well, would have been fine with that. Yeah, <laughs> that too. <laughs> that too. Um, food for thought, something you want people to walk away thinking about today. I, let's see. I want to leave listeners with, I would say, an invitation to just breathe deep in this moment and to recognize that um, this moment is unpromised and it is a gift and um, to try to make space for all the complexity within this moment while recognizing that they are beloved and couldn't be any love or couldn't be loved any more or less than they are in this mm-hmm. moment. Um, and that they're again, worth tending to the gift of their life. Oof. I'm going to play that on repeat. <laughs> I'm just going to listen to that every morning when I wake up. I love that. Please, please. That's awesome. <laughs> That actually is a great invitation to stillness. So I I encourage us all to do that. Mm. Um, all right, Holly, how can we keep in touch? Where can we grab your book? Tell us about your podcast. Anywhere else you would like for us to find you online? Yeah, absolutely. So um, yeah, so the book is called The Soul of the Helper, Seven Stages to Seeing the Sacred Within Yourself. So you can see it in others. Uh, folks can get it wherever they buy their books. Um I, I always like to emphasize, you know, if you can get it from like an independent bookshop, like definitely please try to do that because I'm a big proponent for supporting our indie bookstores. Um, but whatever is best for you. Uh, folks can find me at hollyoxhandler.com um, or on any social media at hollyoxhandler. Uh, and my podcast, as we talked about earlier, is called CXMH. And we have honest conversations on faith and mental health. Um and that's all on social media too at CXMH Podcast. Um, oh, and the last thing I'll mention is I do have a monthly newsletter that I send out and folks can find that from my website um, where I have and elevate lots of resources around this intersection uh, that folks can sign up for too. And we will link all of that in the show notes for y'all so you can just scroll down and grab it. Awesome. Um, Holly, thank you so much for joining me. This was such a good interview. I feel challenged and inspired excited. Oh, that's awesome. Sarah Jane, thank you again so, so much for having me um, and for the good work that you are doing to serve so many others. Seeking the truth never gets old. Introducing June's Journey, the free-to-play mobile game that will immerse you in a thrilling murder mystery. Join June Parker as she uncovers hidden objects and clues to solve her sister's death in a beautifully illustrated world set in the Roaring Twenties. With new chapters added every week, the excitement never ends. Download June's Journey now on your Android or iOS device, or play on PC through Facebook games.